I serve a risen Savior who rules the world today. I know that He is living, whatever men might say. And though my eyes can't see Him, I trust this book right here. For His cross and empty grave still speak truth for all to hear. Good morning, my name is Raymond. I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Hill Church as well. In the interest of time, we have a lot to enjoy this morning. I'm going to jump right into today's sermon. And I want to do that by beginning just by reading a piece of Ecclesiastes, the book that we've been studying together here as a church for about the past six weeks. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 14 to 16, King Solomon said this, The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. And then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies, just like the fool. And as Solomon began to reflect upon the fact of his mortality, the inescapable date that he had with death, just like all of us, down in verse 24 he concludes something. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and enjoy his toil. Let's pray. God, I just want to take a moment very quickly and publicly to say that we want you to come and to speak now to all of us who have gathered here, that you have gathered here. It would be the easiest thing in the world to go ahead with with what we've planned and and really to, to do things this morning in such a way that it amounts to little more than a show, but that's not what you want. And so we ask now that you would speak. Jesus said that no one can come to him unless you draw them. And that's our prayer, that you would draw people to Jesus this morning, just like Chris said earlier. And everybody said, amen. Do you remember the last thing that you borrowed from somebody? Think about it for a second. A pen, a car, maybe a piece of clothing. It happens on Easter. A lot of dress borrowing, hat borrowing, a lot of stuff like that. Here's why I asked. Do you know why I asked you that this morning? If you and I were to ask Jesus that question, do you know what he would say? A tomb. That's right. A tomb. T-O-M-B. And I practiced spelling that just so I wouldn't embarrass myself this morning. <laughs> but he borrowed a grave site. What kind of a man borrows a tomb? And then gives it back because he doesn't need it anymore. (laughs) That, ladies and gentlemen, is what Easter is about. A man so perfect, so pure, so powerful, so all-conquering, so reigning and so ruling that he borrowed a tomb for the weekend and checked out on Sunday morning. He passed through death like you and I pass through the night and wake up the next day. 
And a man who checks out of a tomb is a man worth checking out. Are you all with me so far? Solomon goes through and says, there's really nothing better we can do than to eat or drink. And you have to ask yourself, is this story about Jesus true? Did he die? And after he died, did he rise? Or is this just another fairy tale we've made up to cope with the fact of our death? The inescapability of our mortality? Was Solomon right? Is this the best we can do or hope for? You, you actually see the same kind of thinking in the, the time of Isaiah the prophet. Just a few hundred years later, in Isaiah chapter 22, verse 13, the people, instead of fasting and mourning the way that God was calling them to do at this time, they said, no, instead, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Now follow the logic of the people here. If you reverse that statement, it says, tomorrow we die, or in other words, in just a little while, call it tomorrow, we die. Therefore, let us eat and drink. And they're not talking about just getting a piece of toast and a glass of orange juice. And they're, they're saying, in essence, in essence, they're saying, why should we deprive ourselves of any pleasure that this life has to offer? Why would we even consider delaying the enjoyment of any such, such pleasure until some point in the future? Tomorrow we die. Therefore, today, let's find our deepest satisfaction in the temporary pleasures that we can experience through our temporary bodies. Because we will soon put them away and no longer have this opportunity. And once we hit the grave, that's it. This is the thinking. And this will shock you. And as a pastor, I'm not supposed to say this, but this will shock you. I think they're right. If. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 32. If the dead are not raised. This is exactly what Paul is saying. If the dead are not raised, then everything we've been looking at in Ecclesiastes and everything that the people in the time of Isaiah were, were saying about let us eat and drink, it's, it's right, go for what you can get now if this is it. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. But what if the dead are raised? How should that change the way that we live in the present if in the future that is true? For the rest, that was not planned. For the rest of our time together, I'm going to move this over to start with. And for the rest of our time together, I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And in verse 1 to 20, we're going to spend most of our time in there. And as we do, I want us to simply let the Bible answer four questions for us. Number one, was Jesus literally, that is bodily, raised from the dead? Number two, what evidence do we have of his resurrection? Number three, why is it so difficult for people like us to believe in something like the resurrection? And finally, number four, does it really matter? I mean, does Christianity change at all if Jesus didn't rise from the dead? There are some who don't think so. We'll look at that in a minute, but... Let's begin with the first one. Was Jesus literally, that is bodily, raised from the dead? 
1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 4, we'll answer it. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. If you are the sort of person that takes the Bible at face value and believes what it says, that's all you need. Christ died and was raised according to the Scriptures. Now some people would say, I kind of believe that too. I had a teammate a few years ago, I won't, I won't say who it is, but he professed to be a Christian and he said, you know, the resurrection for me is a, is a really nice, inspiring story. It wasn't Evan Harding, by the way, but I'll, I'll tell you that. But it was a really nice, inspiring story. He said, you know, we, Jesus, you know, his resurrection, I believe it was a spiritual thing. That It's, a, it's just a story meant to inspire us to, to a good life. And I said, quite frankly, I said, forgive me, but... Um, that there is no Christianity without the resurrection. He said, well, what do you mean? Well, here's what I mean. The Bible tells us that Jesus rose bodily, literally, from the grave. Look at Luke chapter 24. In Luke chapter 24, this is after Jesus was raised from the dead. Starting here in verse 38, Jesus said to them, Why are your hearts troubled? Or why are you troubled? And why do you doubt in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? Now, come on, Jesus, you know. He knows that they have broiled fish, right? Have you anything here to eat? And then they gave him a piece of broiled fish. Watch this. And he took it and ate it before them. Jesus said, I have flesh, and I'm eating fish. He might have said, might I have another, please? We cannot say that this is just a spirit that was raised. He was raised with a body. God raised a dead human body. I don't pretend to know exactly how his body worked when it was raised. I just know he had it. We will not be able to escape with that kind of respectable respectable uh, version of this faith in other people's eyes where we can say, well, I kind of believe in the story, but not that he was literally or bodily raised. The Bible doesn't give us room to believe that. Jesus was raised bodily. You see that in Luke chapter 24. That is explaining what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and you can join me back there. When we see here in verse 4 that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, it is literal and bodily. Was he raised? Literally. Question number one. The answer is, everybody say, yes. Question number two, what evidence do we have of his resurrection? We weren't there. 
We didn't get to see this. In fact, in, this won't be on your screen, but in Acts chapter 10, as Peter is speaking to the Gentiles, he, he tells those gathered in Cornelius' home that Jesus did not appear to all men, but to those chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he was raised. And you and I were not in that number of people who got to witness him as an eyewitness of the resurrection. But what kind of evidence, number two, do we have of Jesus' resurrection? I'll just mention two that are here in 1 Corinthians. We have the evidence of eyewitness testimony. And we also have the evidence of changed lives. Let's look at eyewitness testimony. Starting here again in verse 4. Jesus was buried and then he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, that is Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Somebody say, wow. That's more than we have in this room today. Look around. Look around. I mean it. Look around. Jesus, after he was raised, appeared before a crowd of witnesses larger than this. And, and watch this. This is not the sort of thing you say unless you want to immediately blow your credibility with people. Paul says, he appeared to Cephas, verse 5, then to the 12, verse 6, then he appeared to more than five brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Why does Paul say that? He's telling them to go ask these people. Most of them are still alive. Now, my father is a math teacher, a professor at Howard University. 500, if you get most of 500, half of that is 250. That's at least 251 people, right? Somewhere at least, maybe around 300 are still alive. Go knock on their doors. In fact, he said, look, text this person, call this person. Or he would have. Go knock on this person's door. They don't have a phone. They're a little bit behind the times, but go ask him. This is not the sort of thing you say if it's just a fairy tale. There was real eyewitness testimony to the resurrection. And a lot of times we, we either say this ourselves or we hear other people saying it. Well, we don't really have any real evidence for the resurrection. Yes, we do. We just don't have the kind of evidence you're willing to accept. You, you've put yourself in the position where you're able to demand a certain kind of evidence from God. And I think you need to rethink your position. He hasn't given that position to you. You see, he said that he chose certain witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. Eyewitnesses. You weren't included. I wasn't included. What God has given to us, the evidence he has given to us, is eyewitness testimony. And don't we often accept eyewitness testimony in other matters? Anybody watch Law and Order? We so accept eyewitness testimony that we have to spend millions and millions of dollars a year on a witness protection program. Don't look at me and tell me we don't accept eyewitness testimony as verification of historical facts. We do. Just not this one. Because we understand what it means for our lives. You see, only one person is on trial in that courtroom when the other eyewitness testimony that we accept is brought to light. We're not on trial in that courtroom, right? 
But you're all on trial in this one. And so am I. I'm just going to talk to you. Amen. (laughs) We know that. It's not that we don't accept eyewitness testimony. It's not that we don't have any evidence. No one can say that. We want to consider the evidence inadmissible because we don't like the conclusions it leads us to. The Bible tells us we have plenty of eyewitness testimony. Peter, the twelve, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, Jesus' brother, his younger brother. Jesus was the oldest brother in the family. Mary was not the ever-virgin. Jesus had brothers and sisters. James was one of them. James did not believe in his brother when they were growing up. He would often poke fun at Jesus, we're told. James later writes one of the books of the Bible and introduces himself in James chapter 1, verse 1 as the bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't talk about my older brother that way. And you pro- I've seen some of you talk to your siblings. Neither do you. What caused James to go from a place of unbelief to the place where he called his brother the living and risen Lord of all the universe? Well, 1 Corinthians 15.7 is what happened to James. He saw his older brother die, and then he saw him get back up. Ladies and gentlemen, this happened. There's plenty of eyewitness testimony. Paul goes on to speak about it in verse 8 because now it becomes personal. Paul says, I I actually am one of these witnesses. Didn't think it would happen this way, but in verse 8, last of all, he appeared to me as to one untimely born. And then we also have the evidence, not just of eyewitness testimony, but of changed lives in verses 9 to 11. Paul begins to talk about how seeing Jesus changed his life. And he said, I am the least... Of all the apostles, I am unworthy even to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Verse 9, this is his past. He persecuted the church of God. But now Paul is working in verse 10 and 11 to establish the worldwide church of God. By the way, which is exactly what will happen to you when you really get saved. You actually give your whole life to Jesus. You yield the balance of your days to Him. No longer do you tinker with religion and just coming to a service like this on certain holidays that you think are important. Your whole life belongs to Jesus. Paul says in verse 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And that's also true of you. It's all by the grace of God that we are what we are. And that's why you can never look down on anybody else that that does not have your faith, that has not seen the same kind of change that you have. It's all because of the grace of God. And he goes through and he says, look, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. In the Greek, it was not kinos, which means empty, hollow. The grace of God was not kinos or in vain. He says, though it was not I, but the grace of God. Or rather, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preached, and this is what you believe. Now, is there evidence? Yes, there's evidence of eyewitness testimony as well as evidence of changed lives. You're going to see at least eight of those today as we baptize people. But let's get to my third question so that we can move on. Why is it so difficult for you and I to believe these things? 
Well, I think quite easily because we've never seen it. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is there anyone here who's seen a literal human body raised from the dead? No. Okay. We've never seen it. And it's very hard to believe in something you've never seen, especially when it sounds that spectacular. Uh, Heather and I have a tree in our backyard. One tree. Some bushes I'd like to get rid of, but the tree is good. We've got this one tree, and it's interesting. Right around this time of year, it's happening again. The tree starts to bud. You start to see signs of life on it again. These green leaves start to appear. All throughout the winter, it looks as dead as anything that could be dead. It looks as dead as you can get. And then right about now, you start to see the evidence that it's not the end. Winter's not the end. That which looked dead is coming back to life. And I've never doubted that this would happen. Every spring, I'm positive this is going to happen again. Well, except for that one spring where I pruned, I got a little happy prune in the tree. (laughs) And we didn't know, uh, you remember that? We didn't know what was going to happen to that tree. But poor Heather saw that thing and almost cried. But in any case, we see that tree come back to life every single year. And here's what I'm learning. Here's what I'm learning. The God who figured out how to do that and who had the power to make it happen has no problem figuring out how to raise and and actually bringing to pass the raising of a dead human body. It is just as easy for him, though it seems spectacular to us. Why do we find it so hard to believe? Because we've never seen it. Do we have evidence? Yes. Eyewitness testimony, as well as the evidence of changed lives. Get to my last question. Does it really matter? Does it really matter in the end? Do you lose anything? Does Christianity even really change or suffer any at all if Jesus wasn't literally and bodily raised from the dead? Some people don't seem to think so. In fact, let me read a a quote to you from a very famous guy that I think in many regards all of us would probably have to say we admire on one level for his commitment to nonviolent protest and how it's shaped even the civil rights movement in our country. And I'm talking about Mahatma Gandhi. Gandhi said this, I have never been interested in an an historical Jesus. I should not care if it were proved by someone that the man called Jesus never lived and that what was narrated in the Gospels were a figment of the writer's imagination. For, here's why he says this, for the Sermon on the Mount would still be true to me. You see, for Gandhi, like for so many of us, whose primary concern is the religious value in a set of ideas and how it can be applied to certain social issues. For Gandhi, the issue was the morality that Jesus taught, or the Dharma. As long as you followed his Dharma, that's all that mattered. And you can do that even if he never physically or bodily was raised from the dead. You really can But the mistake we make is in thinking that Christianity is primarily a a thing of good advice concerning what we should do. Christianity, folks, everyone look at me. I've probably lost some of you by, by now, but look at me. Christianity is not first about good advice concerning what we must do. It is good news concerning what Jesus has done. Therefore, it is infinitely important whether or not the events of the gospel are true. Christianity no longer, cease, it no longer exists 
if he does not rise, as the Bible says. In fact, don't take my word for it. Let's pick this story back up. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12. You see the doubt in the Corinthians, though they profess to be Christians. Verse 12 says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, watch the logic, then not even Christ has been raised. Now watch the implications for Christianity. Watch Christianity, in theory, crumble right before your eyes if the literal bodily resurrection of Christ is not true. In verse 14 to 19, here's how Paul puts it. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is kinos, is in vain. And so is your faith. Your faith is empty and hollow. Our preaching is useless. It's hollow. It's empty. It's in vain. Not only is our preaching vain, not only is your faith vain if Jesus wasn't raised, we have another problem in verse 15. We are even then found to be pseudo-martyrs is the word in Greek. We're found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. So our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain, we're false witnesses of God, which for them incurs the death penalty. I know you don't like to hear problems on Easter morning, but let's continue. Verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. Let's go back through this. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are, here's another problem, you are still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, we're still in our sins. And we're in big trouble before God. Because that, that means that when He claimed to be able to deal with our sins in such a way that it fixed the relationship between us and God, if He could not conquer the final consequence of sin, which is death by the wrath of God, which He endured on the cross, if He can't come out of that okay, there's no way He can help us. You and I will have to go through death by the wrath of God, if Jesus did not take it for us. Because God is just, and He will fully punish all sin, or He can no longer call Himself God. Your sin will not escape. He is determined to create a perfect world that is the home of nothing but righteousness. Where not only you and I can dwell, but where He can dwell. He's not, he's not letting any sin escape. No matter how much he loves you, he's not doing it. And I know that because he put his own son on the cross. If he's willing to put his son through that because he's so committed to punishing sin, do you really think you'll escape and I'll escape? Our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. We're misrepresenting God if this is not true. We're still in our sins. Verse 18, and then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, that is those who have died trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and for the hope of the resurrection of the body and the, the everlasting life that we all believe will come to those who trust in the Lord Jesus. Those, verse 18, who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope for this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied because it means that we're living a lie. 
and we are delaying the enjoyment of and even depriving ourselves completely of certain pleasures that we really ought to be enjoying right now if this stuff is not true. I almost want to say it this way. If the resurrection is not true, don't, don't even come back here. I almost want to say if you don't believe it's true, don't come back, but I, I'm not going to say that. Because you need to keep coming back to a place where you can hear the gospel. I need to come back. Listen, I asked the Lord this week, Lord, do I really believe this? I'm about to talk to a bunch of people about this. Do I really believe that Jesus was raised bodily from the dead? And I think it's a moment of, of faith. I need to believe this more than I ever have. I looked at that tree outside, and I found something in me that said yes. That's the Holy Spirit. I've never seen it before, but he showed me something in my experience that helped me to believe yes, it's true. And the dead in Christ will be raised to life. The dead outside of Christ will be raised to judgment. And they will suffer an eternity in a place that God prepared for the devil and his angels that we, we know more by the name of hell. Please don't take offense at me for that. I didn't make this up. And I'm not just saying that to scare you. <clears throat> Feel free to take your kids out on Easter egg hunts and let them have a good time today, but... But know, for all this, know that these things are real. These things are real. This is what would happen to Christianity if Christ had not been raised. But, verse 20. But, in fact. I want you to hear this like you've never heard it before. Christ has been raised from the dead. Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He will not be the only one. We go immediately to be with the Lord, you could say, in spirit. For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, This day you'll be with me in paradise. My body will be in a tomb. I'll be in paradise. This day you'll be with me. The thief wasn't in the tomb. He was with Jesus wherever he was. But we await the hope of the resurrection where we will be raised literally and bodily just like Jesus was raised. It will happen. Was Jesus literally raised from the dead? Yes. What evidence do we have? We have eyewitness testimony and we have the evidence of changed lives. Why is it so hard for us to believe this? Because we've never seen it and we don't believe what God says in the Bible. Does it really matter anyway? Everybody answer that question for me. It matters a whole lot. It matters a whole lot. I serve a risen Savior who rules and reigns today. I know that He is living, whatever men might say. And though my eyes can't see Him, I trust in this book right here. For still His cross and empty grave speak truth for all to hear. All of this means that our preaching is not in vain. Your faith is not in vain. We Christians are not misrepresenting God to the world in our message that we call the gospel. Those who have trusted in Christ are no longer in their sins. And in verse 18, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have not perished. Christians are not to be pitied as if they're living a life where they're depriving themselves of their best life now.
We hope for our best life later with Jesus. And we live now in such a way that we can share the life that we have with others who are more in need of it than we are at this present time. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And at this time, as we prepare to to baptize those who have heard this message, who have heard the message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and who by the grace of God and the power of the Spirit have said, I believe. We ask that as this is tangibly demonstrated in baptism, as, as we go down, as Jesus went into the tomb, as we are buried with him in baptism, Romans 6, 4, as we go down into the water and come back up to walk in the newness of life, I pray that something would happen in seeing the baptisms that will help our hearts to understand the truth that you just spoke to us. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.